This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. So good morning. Good to see everybody. A special welcome to anybody who's new today. Anybody want to um, acknowledge that they're new here for the first time or maybe the second time? Hi, this is Gary Thompson. I'm here for the second time. Awesome. Yeah, welcome, Gary. Thank you. So, yeah, thank you for joining us uh, this Saturday morning. Um, I think today I would like to uh, talk about a maybe offer a response to a couple of questions that have come up recently in discussions with people in the Sangha. But at first I thought maybe we could just... Um, sit for a moment together. So I know we've just all been um, sitting zazen, but um, we just take a, a few minutes to um, kind of reconnect to that space or that feeling of breath in your body. So finding an upright posture, yet relaxed, feeling the contact with the chair or the ground. Maybe allowing your weight to be given to the cushion or the floor. So there's a kind of heaviness in the lower body, just allowing it to drop into the ground. And from that steadiness, just kind of imagining our spine extending upward toward the sky, sort of lightening up, stretching out through the top of the head. So bringing a little attention to our breathing, you know, at the very basic level, just noting when we're breathing in, noting when we're breathing out. So allowing our breathing to be however it is, you know, trying to make it different, just acknowledging our own breathing body. Just see if you can bring attention to the kind of totality of your body. What does it feel like to have a body? What do you notice about your body? Is it stiff or sore or tense? Are there parts that feel more relaxed? Can we even notice these sort of subtle shifts as our body extends with the breath and contracts with the out-breath. So the subtle movement of our body around our breathing.
So in even just taking a moment to try and um, be with our physical being, to acknowledge it, did anything come up, you know, is there anything you want to share that you noticed? My computer fan is um, in some sort of crazy mode where it keeps turning on and off. I'm sorry about that sound. <laughs> I'm not sure what to do about it. Well, it does remind me of a story. I um, Maybe the second or third session I ever did um, in, in my practice was in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And there was a member of kind of a somebody we didn't necessarily know very well, but who was wanting to come to the session, I think from maybe uh, somewhere far away, and wanted to offer a gift to the temple. And so he offered to build um, some shelving uh, on the deck outside that you could kind of, uh, it was like a seat, you could lift up the seat and store stuff underneath. So it was this sort of big wooden box. And uh, the teacher, Joshua, uh, you know, agreed to let him do that during the session since he was just there for a few days. And I don't know if she knew all of what was going to be involved, but um, he basically had a table saw on the deck. And so for like countless hours of session, there was this like table saw cutting wood, you know, you know it was like... Um, and it was a, a kind of wonderful teaching experience, like... Um, that she didn't get up and stop him. Like, no, no, you have to be quiet. We're in Sashin, you know? So I kind of had to sit there with this, you know, pretty annoying sound, <laughs> kind of uh, breaking up any kind of continuity I had in my own mind, you know? And it was a wonderful lesson that life is just life, even when we're meditating, that... Um, that sometimes we need that challenge of kind of distraction to um, to really test our ability to sort of stay still and present. Um, and hopefully, you know, we learn in practice that um, we don't have to have the perfect conditions at every moment to meditate. Um, I think our practice would be kind of shallow if that was the case. So this reminds me of a, a very famous Zen teaching story of Dongshan. So I don't know if everybody knows this, but what has become the Soto lineage in Japan uh, that we are a part of through Suzuki Roshi started out as the Saodong lineage in China. And the name Saodong came from two famous Zen teachers, I think in the 8th or ninth century in China, and one of them being Dongshan. So the very basis of our style of practice comes from, from Dongshan. So a monk asked, when the cold season comes, where can one go to avoid it? Dongshan said, why not go where there is no cold? The monk said, what is the place where there is no cold? Dongshan said, when it's cold, the cold kills you. When it's hot, the heat kills you. So again, the monk asked Dongshan, what, when the cold season comes, where can one go to avoid it? So I was kind of joking with a friend this week about living at Tassajara. So it's a monastery and there's a kind of totality to the group life. You know, you're living in these kind of shacks in the, in the wilderness. So when we're cold kind of day in and day out, it becomes something we can't kind of let go of where it's a very big part of our experience. In particular, you know, um, pretty soon after you enter the monastery, you're put on a serving crew uh, for meals. So we eat three meals a day in the meditation hall. And especially for breakfast, uh, the serving crew is standing outside of the, the zendo on this sort of porch that surrounds the 
municipal building called the Angawa. And you already have taken your shoes off because you're going to be coming in and out of the Zendo. And it's sort of good form to not wear shoes in the Zendo. So I think many people who have lived at Tassajara have had this experience of standing in the sort of pre-dawn darkness on this outdoor porch in the freezing cold. And sometimes it is, you know, close to freezing in bare feet. And the intensity of the... Anyway, my sincere apologies about all of the technical difficulties. I think I'll just continue from here. So yeah, I was telling this story about kind of um, being at Tassajara and being very cold um, in the light of this koan by Dongshan to, you know, to dive into the cold completely, to allow the heat to overtake us. I think this koan or this story is given me problems sometimes, not being sure what was meant. But I think one aspect that I wanted to highlight today uh, is, this, is this physical experience and how much a part of practice our kind of acceptance or engagement with the physical experience of our life is. So in meeting with folks in the last few weeks, a couple times, you know, people that I know are experienced in practice and um, have almost kind of confessed to me that they see Zen as intellectual or something, or more focused on the mind. And I found that fascinating. You know, I think it's interesting to delve into the question, what, what do we mean by the mind? What do we mean by the body? Because ultimately I think Zen is encouraging us to somehow engage it as one full experience, both our body and our mind, the totality of our experience. So Zen has this um, broad focus in meditation. You know, we're not generally not meditating on the the tip of a candle or some particular deity, but it's more openness to uh, sounds, sensations, energies moving in our body, thoughts arising and passing away, kind of all of it, all of it is one experience. But I will acknowledge, you know, there's lots of stories in Zen, lots of koans and metaphors and symbols. So I wonder, I think maybe that's what these folks meant by mind-based or intellectual. But just in response to those, those two very honest confessions, I do want to kind of bring some attention to the way that practice is very much a physical act. It very much takes place in this very body and mind. And interestingly, often we're kind of uncomfortable here. So standing on the Ngawa in the freezing cold, it's like, I can't even consider some other place in time. I'm so consumed by that feeling of cold on my feet. So the discomforts of the body often cause us to kind of flee into our mind. You know, maybe we start to fantasize about the beach or somewhere where it's not so cold. Um, and again, Dongshan is sort of encouraging us to do the opposite, like to enter into the fullness of the experience of being cold, enter into the completeness of the experience of just being hot or just sweating in the humid Austin morning.
<laughs> so my my teacher Paul has been a Zen priest for you know 40 years or more I don't even know and as long as I've known him for 10 years every year he's teaching on the Sati Patana Sutta or the four foundations of mindfulness and the first one being the mindfulness of body so in this teaching of the Buddhas we start just with this physical being and in the four four foundations um, you know breathing is considered part of the body mindfulness of body so mindfulness of breathing is just a subset of mindfulness of this experience of having a physical body but it's interesting to me that my own teacher keeps coming back to this teaching keeps wanting to share this teaching and that this teaching starts with entering the experience of our physical being so my other root teacher um, Joshua Pat Phelan helped me early in practice when practice was very painful you know just trying to learn to be upright felt like it took all of my kind of complete energy and being just to sit upright you know and sometimes tension would develop in my back or neck that again would be this kind of all all-encompassing experience of pain or discomfort but she was always recommending to me and to her students you know some masseuse that she had found the local osteopath um, um, Feldenkrais method practice so we had a Feldenkrais teacher that would come to Sashin and lead us in Feldenkrais practice each day I did something called postural it's called postural awareness but there are all these modalities for entering the experience of our body beyond zazen you know within zazen i think dogen's you know kind of fundamental teaching of fukan zazengi is a lot about postural instruction zen at the at the very heart is body based in the sense that we are aware or tuning to or checking in with where our body is in space and trying to find uprightness which is this interesting process of control and not control of kind of making some effort and then also letting go of that effort and allowing uprightness to manifest itself So within being introduced to all these different um, body practitioners, Feldenkrais, massage, acupuncture, yoga, Tai Chi, Qigong, there's so many ways, practices to, uh, that involve a kind of deep awareness of our physical being. And sometimes our physical being in movement, which is even sort of more complicated to kind of stay with or attune to. And for me, all of these have helped kind of fill out a picture or an understanding of my own physical being. I think I've, sometimes I joke that when I first started Zazen and I had instruction, my own internal sense of my own body was that like, okay, I'm trying to be upright, but there's like four ways I can miss upright. Like I could be too far forward. I could be too far back, a little to the side, a little to the side. So like, those four directions were kind of all my concept of what my physical body could do and the interesting and frustrating thing <laughs> of developing awareness is that i i can kind of over time see all kinds of different twists and turns and 3d you know uh, misses in my in my efforts to be upright you know so it's not just that i'm missing forward or back it's sort of like one arm one shoulders a little bit kind of closer to my neck and the other's falling away or or my face is turned one way and my torso the other you know there's all these kind of wonderful manifestations of the immense complexity and 
yeah, kind of fascination of our of our physical being. So yeah, I just want to recommend this study of our being and this finding ways to encourage ourselves to be with our own body. I think loving kindness practice has been really helpful for me. Compassion practice. So stretching, you know, calming, exercising, treating our bodies well so that we actually are more likely to want to spend time in this experience without kind of drifting away. And that's not to say that there won't be difficult experiences being present with our body. Certainly, there's a whole range of, of experience possible in our life. So the other question that's been coming up recently that I would like to maybe talk about briefly is um, sometimes in discussing Zen practice and the practice of having a teacher or practicing with a teacher, people often ask me, how do I, how do I get a teacher? How does that happen? <laughs> and I remember having that same question in my own practice. Um, and I think the first thing I would say is that there are um, different understandings of that even within Zen. So different teachers have different maybe slightly different understandings. And I wanna talk a little bit more about it, but I think the main thing I wanna say is, please keep asking that question. And especially to teachers or to somebody you want to be your teacher. You know, it's a wonderful question to start with. <laughs> what does it mean to have a teacher? So, I think there are many paths through Zen, which is kind of wonderful to me. There, there, there's no requirement that you have a teacher. I think it's actually okay to dedicate yourself to Zazen, to come and support a Sangha. But I think a lot of us have found that at some point we see the value of entering into this very unique relationship. And part of that is asking for help. So, uh, and there's a kind of vulnerability involved in that, that I think culturally we don't like to express. But when somebody says, how do I find a teacher? I think another answer is, you know, ask for help. So I was looking for um, other kind of teachers' thoughts on, on having teachers. I know Suzuki Roshi's written about it in Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind as well. But this is from Blanche's book, um, Seeds for, for a Boundless Life. And the questioner asks her about, so the, the, the questioner has, has had a teacher who died 22 years previously. And then since then they have just maintained a Sangha practice. And he's wondering if he's doing, he or she is wondering if they are doing a disservice to the practice by practicing without a teacher. So Blanche says, certainly I think practicing the Buddha way without a teacher is better than not practicing at all. However, you have said not You've not said anything about why you want to practice without a teacher. Do you live in a location where there are no teachers available? Does it feel somehow disloyal to your original teacher for you to work with a new teacher? Have you asked this question of your deceased teacher in your heart during meditation? Which I think is just a very sweet response. She says, if your circumstances are such that you are able to practice with a teacher as well as with a Sangha, I would re recommend doing so, no matter what your practice. A teacher can be a mirror to help you see habits of clinging 
that may lead you to suffering or unwholesome actions of body, speech, and mind. She mentions that good friends in the Sangha can also be supportive in this way. So there's a way that we find teachers everywhere. In the monastery, they say, let the, the schedule be your teacher. Just follow the schedule. Um, there's teachings about seeing every being we come across as Buddha. You know? What does this homeless person asking for change have to teach me about the nature of reality? So there's a broad definition of teacher, but then there's a very specific one as well. And I think, you know, sometimes what makes Americans um, unlikely to sort of ask for help or um, be willing to enter into the relationship of having a teacher is a kind of fear of hierarchy. And Japanese and especially Zen can be very hierarchical. There's clearly one abbot, you know, here there's clearly one head teacher. And yet even in our practice here, I think we're, we're not so hierarchical. You know? I think we all share a kind of ethic of chipping in together. Uh, that's wonderful. But I worry that we're missing some, some aspect of practice in our kind of unwillingness to be the student to say, I don't know, can you help me? And I think the other sadness is maybe that we don't fully get the, we don't benefit from the full experience of the teacher if we're not willing to be the student. That these student and teacher roles define and create each other. So something comes out of the teacher when they're asked to be a teacher. And somebody allows them to be the teacher. And I think, you know, teachers need support in the sense of um, students being willing to step into that role. So I think a lot of us have been talking in the last year about this hundred foot pole um, standing on top of the hundred foot pole. And what is that next moment, that moment you step off? When I was in Shuso at City Center, there's a opening ceremony to sort of introduce the Shuso to the practice period or to ask this person. Um, and it's this choreographed play of kind of Japanese, I don't know, kind of very formalized play of, of saying your lines between the Shuso and the teacher. But the very basic gist of it is that the teacher says, will you be the Shuso? And the student three times says, I'm not worthy or I don't, I don't feel ready. Uh, this is too much responsibility for me or something. And I think in, in reenacting that for the ceremony, I think it's very easy to touch that part of ourself that says, who am I to, to say something about the Dharma? But in the particular ceremony with Paul, we kind of said our lines back and forth two or three times um, and then the third time, Paul kind of left the script and said something to me impromptu. And I said, I'm not, you know, I'm not ready. And he said, when you step forward, the whole universe rushes in to catch you, to support you, to meet you. So I sometimes think when we, when we think about stepping off the 100 foot pole, 
part of me is only thinking about the fear of that moment of of really letting go into the unknown. Uh, and sometimes we need this reassurance that just our intention, just our effort to step forward evokes a response from all that we are a part of. But we only get to experience that by being vulnerable in some way, but also trusting. I trust that it will be okay if I step forward. I trust this person to be my teacher in the sense that I trust them to support me, but also be honest with me, to, to help me see things that I cannot see about myself. Um, <clears throat> so in um, Sojin, Mel White, Weitzman's stepping down ceremony, um, maybe, I don't know, six months ago now, four or five months ago, when he stepped down as the abbot of the Berkeley Zen Center just before he passed away, um, you know, many teachers were at this event on Zoom and expressing their gratitude and appreciation to Sojin Roshi. And one of them was my teacher, Josho Fatfilin, and she mentioned her appreciation for uh, Sojin's support of the Chapel Hill Sangha. And I remember this, that he would come at least once a year, maybe twice a year, and lead a teaching weekend or a small sashin. Um, but he also would meet with the Sangha, so uh, with the board, I remember one dinner on a Friday night before the weekend started, we had dinner with Sojin. And it was an opportunity to ask him, you know, what is a Sangha? Um, what does it mean for us as a group to have a teacher? And how do we support that teacher? Um, because it's not something that the teacher necessarily can answer directly. Um, so sometimes you need other resources and need to know to remember to ask other resources. How do we support the head teacher at Austin Zen Center? And Mel, Mel served that role for us. And it was really important in helping us understand um, that Josho kind of, or the teacher need, needed us to trust in her by trusting her into our life. And that that somehow nourished or strengthened the Sangha. So anyway, those are some thoughts on a couple questions that have come up recently. Uh, and again, my apologies for the disjointed start to this talk. Um, I think I wanna just finish by um, maybe sharing a little bit about my life um, and changes in it that are kind of undergoing uh, currently. So um, probably most people know, some people know that I am um, moving to Tassajara, that I actually will be moving there at the end of the month um, to do a month and a half of the summer practice with the students there prior to uh, the practice period in the fall. And that I have received word that I'll be taking part in an ordination ceremony. So I have been sewing formal robe to become a priest in Zen after 20 years of being a lay person. Um, and that my teacher Paul has sort of roughly set a date for just before the practice period. And uh, that I have the tremendous honor of being asked to be Shuso at Tassajara, which is a very different experience than at, at City Center. And that there is even some possibility that I will be offered a position to stay at Tassajara beyond the practice period. So partly this is just to say 
I'll be back <laughs> at some point. Um, that I love and appreciate the the Austin Sun Center Sangha. It's meant so much to my own practice to be here and to practice with you all. Um, and I look forward to staying in touch and coming back at some point, but I also don't know when exactly that will be. So yeah, thank, thank you all for your practice and for your kind attention today. Um, and you know, please do stay in touch and let me know how I can help support your practice if that's possible. So I think we'll, we'll have some questions and thoughts maybe that you all want to share. Hi, Nick. Hey, how's it going, Tim? I just Good. wanted to say um, what an inspiration you've been for me personally. Um, and um, I guess in, in seeing you go, um, I guess on behalf probably of the whole Sangha, I just wanted to say, inspired by your talk, may the, may the universe rush forward to meet you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you so much. No, I, I really appreciate that. I'll definitely uh, miss, miss seeing you and, 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 but, you know. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll meet again for sure. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. And I'll, I'll miss you both as well. I think, I think Sandra has raised her hand. Great. Tim, um, gosh, I'm really sorry to, um, for you to be leaving. I'm very happy for you and for the path that you're taking. Um, but uh, I've, I've just learned so much from you from the class, the tiny class that we've had and I really appreciate your demeanor and the way that you transmit Dharma to us and all your Dharma talks and you know you're just such a humble and kind and um, gentle person and so I'm really going to miss you and so thank you for all of your time. And, and I want to second what uh, what Sandra just said. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, I have mixed feelings. I'm thinking, well, hopefully they'll like run him off after five, six months, and he'll come back. <laughs> yeah, it could happen. It certainly could happen. <laughs> so, so, uh, so, thank you very much, and and thank you for our talks and your teachings. Yeah. Yeah, thank you both so much, and it's it's been um, you know really wonderful to get to know you both and um, to spend time with you, and um, yeah, I hope to to continue that connection in the future as well. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, thank you. Hi, Jess. Hi, Tim. Hey, um, Jess. Hey, just going with the theme. <laughs> Oh, darn. I see Bruce instead of you. But <laughs> <laughs> if I talk? Let me try to find you. Yeah, here, talk for a sec. Yeah, maybe that'll okay. bring my picture up. Yeah, yeah. No offense, Bruce. <laughs> um, but I wanted to continue the theme and, uh, and tell you that I have greatly appreciated um, your presence as I entered, found my way into um, the practice. You were like intuitively with your being very welcoming and supportive um, to me. And um, I, you've kind of given me permission to feel my, like I, to feel my way into more of an intuitive practice, which mm. is kind of uh, unspoken. Like you don't really hear that much said, but, um, there was something about your presence that really um, kind of allowed me to settle into myself mm -hmm. in a way that I had not before. And I remember when I was first coming through the door, I was so scared of 
every single thing I found everything to be so intimidating. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really scared, especially to have practice discussion because I think I just didn't know. Like, it seemed mm-hmm. so formal and I had no idea like what was going to come up and how to be that vulnerable sitting in front of a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I don't think you consciously knew that, who knows, but somehow you found ways to start to have practice discussion with me, like when we would just see each other in passing. Mm-hmm. And that's, that was my interpretation of it. And that, again, just kind of made me comfortable and invited me in like a softer way mm-hmm. into getting to sit with you and sit with Mako. And um, so I've always really appreciated that. And you you will be missed. And I look forward to seeing you at Tatara. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Jess. And I, you know, I think you mentioned the word intuitive or intuition right before saying something about the self settling on the self. So I just want to, I just want to stress that my understanding of intuition is just being present. You know? mm-hmm. And I think we all have to find that in our own body again, mm. uh, a trust for what, what this body and mind sees experiences has to offer um, learning to trust that. Okay, Pat has her hand raised. Oh, Tim, thank you for the wonderful talk this morning and all your other wonderful talks that you've given. Um, I think we're going to really miss you a lot. I know I am. I miss your calm presence and I especially appreciated your facilitating of the uh, waking up group because you just did it in such a um, just an enviable, calm and peaceful way that made it so possible for everybody to speak their own mind and you left that big space for us all and I got so much out of that. And I guess I'm luckier than most because I'm going to be at the practice period in Tuxahara, <laughs> so I'll still get to see you and yeah. be, uh, around for your so ship. <laughs> and I do hope that your ordination is going to be pretty close to the beginning of the practice period so that I can go to it or even if I yeah. to start. So be sure and let us know that date. And yeah. uh, anyway, I'm sad that you're leaving. Oh. I accidentally pushed the wrong button on my little reactions and one, I, I got the no, no, don't leave. <laughs> it looked like. <laughs> and, uh, well, so. thank, thank you so much, Pat. And, and it's, um, it's been so wonderful to practice with you and get to know you. And I have so much admiration for your support of Austin Zen Center over so many years. Um, that, you know, I know when I leave that I will miss all of you, um, but I also have that sense that this place as a practice place is in very good hands, you know. Um, I have so much faith and trust and admiration for Mako and um, for you as well, Pat, and and for Choro. Um, So, uh, yeah, I look forward to, to seeing you at the Sahara. All right, I have a Wendy and Nick hand. I'm going to guess maybe it's Wendy's turn. My turn. But just, uh, <laughs> Tim, what you just said, just it, it just brought to mind, um, we're sending our oldest off to college in August. Uh, and I had it just brought to mind that feeling of like, so excited for you, sad for us, but like, knowing at the end it's going to be the best for everyone but this transitional period is is kind of bittersweet and so but i'm so excited for you oh thank you wendy and and i i think that that sort of encompasses my experience too like there's a lot of actually there was a lot of fear a couple weeks ago like 
this is going to be a very different life. I'm sort of turning my life upside down. But that has shifted in the last week or two into just this excitement and, uh, uh, you know, real sense of gratitude that, I mean, Tassajara is a very a unique and special place. And to, to get to, to go back after 10 years being away, really, I am excited about that as well. But yeah, thank you so much. And thank you for, for all of your support of this center. You know, it was really helpful to me as director, you know, to have you jump in and get involved. And uh, uh, you have this wonderful, um, yeah, kind and energized spirit that just is a pleasure to work with. And um, yeah, I'm excited to see how you develop within the center as well. I think um, you are one of the many wonderful supports that the center already has. Yeah. Uh, Mary. Unmuting. <laughs> oh, Tim, I just wanna say I'm so happy for you. This is wonderful. Um, at, at the same time, I echo everybody else's sense of it being bittersweet for us, but you have really been a major force in transforming the Austin Zen Center and will be with us in, in our hearts as we go forward. And we look forward to your visits and visiting you. Yeah. Thank you for everything you've given. Oh, thank you so much, Mary. And thank you. Uh, yeah, hi, Dave. Um, so, Tim, so many things. Um, <laughs> you talked about the physical experience <clears throat> of Zazen and the practice. And um, that is a theme that I've heard from you over the years. And um, I really connect with it. And um, it, one thing that you have definitely transmitted to me as I tend to go towards the conceptualization um, is, no, it's just my body here in this moment. Um, and I'm not always able to contact that, but, um, but when I do, I, I feel like it's a strong influence from you. <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, and, and now echoed in the texts that I'm going through with Choro, the Dogen, and, and um, especially the Dogen and the Fukan Zazengi and Zazengi. Um, and you talked about the need, uh, the challenge maybe of finding a teacher and, and let me just say to the Sangha that I, that I love dearly that I uh, sign me up as someone that needs a teacher and I don't know what that means and I don't know I have no idea what that means um so I it, wherever that list is put me on that list <laughs> <laughs> um and um I'm really uh struck by the challenge of impermanence in this, in your departure. And I'm connecting it to Mark's departure and, and the ceremony we just had for Mark and the loss that I've had in my family and the loss that we've all just been challenged by in COVID and in general. Yeah. Um, and that is just a place where I'm at, but I am also very, very conscious of the benefit that you've provided to our Sangha is going to be provided to others and is going to be perhaps provided in bigger ways or different ways than, than you've been providing to, to our Sangha. Um, and so I'm really grateful for that. And so I'm trying to pay a lot of attention to that while I'm struggling with the impermanence. Um, but um, I, I just so grateful for your, your, contributions to the Sangha and, and how I've experienced your con contributions. And I'm so excited for you and um, thrilled about, about where you're going and, and looking forward to being a part of it in some way. Thank you. Thank you. 
Yeah, thank you, Dave. And, you know, thank you for naming the, um, the sadness, you know, I think um, to just allow that sadness to be sadness is so important. And I think our, our world is still kind of in crisis. Um, like I don't know that we've actually gotten through the pandemic to some level where we can actually mourn what we've lost in the pandemic. I think we're still kind of in the flight and flight, um, energized kind of place. But more and more, I hope that we can feel safe enough to open to that sadness, uh, to allow that sadness and explore it. Um, because that's such an important part of digesting our experience of being a, a being. So in a way, I'm sorry, you know, there's been so much loss um, and for you in particular, but um, I appreciate the openness with which you're willing to kind of be with it and look at it. So thank you. Dan? Yeah, hey, Bruce. No, Anne's waving, so I... I... Oh, Anne. Yeah. Tim, I just wanted to say thank you for being... The, probably the one person who I have observed wholly and courageously living the water course way, you are a true Taoist and Zen, and, and Zen practitioner both to me, and, and I so appreciate you bringing that aspect of Zen into uh, the Sangha and, and teaching mm -hmm. about that and, and living that. Uh, as well, and I just am very excited for you to continue in living that life that uh, is such an inspiration. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Anne. I think I will jump in, take my turn. <laughs> uh, it it seems it seems very fortuitous the timing in one respect that this zendo that I'm sitting in and much of the building has been in such disarray for uh, what feels like weeks now. And it's about to get to a place where it's much more in order or much more welcoming. And I, I say that's fortuitous because when you first started visiting us and when you first joined us, um, there was a considerable amount of organizational disarray that you stepped into. And, and when you say you, you feel the song is in good hands, I just want to point out that you were a big part of the circumstances that led to this moment. It's not, it's not simply that you came and this happened and then you're going, right? It was, um, it's so, the, so there's a great deal of gratitude and appreciation for, for the stabilizing influence. Um, that, that you've had and your willingness to wade into a situation that was not what it is um, currently. And I, and I think that there's a lot, that, well, I know that there's a lot more behind the scenes than a lot of us know. Um, but I think that, uh, I, well, a couple of examples. I mean, yes, the, the, the equanimity or imperturbability that you've shown has, has been um, inspirational in the sense that like it's been kind of, there's been a certain wow factor, like how is he able not to be thrown off by these things? But, oh, wait, maybe that's possible. Maybe, maybe you know, maybe there's a connection between practice and that. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe I think, you know, to the extent that I will indulge um, gaining mind and grasping, like that seems like not the worst kind of thing to look for. Mm -hmm. um, but, but and, and it's funny too, because there was one example just now, just like not an hour ago, where <laughs> these technical glitches that could have thrown, that would have thrown me, would have thrown a lot of people off 
to the sense, to the extent that there would have to be some getting back. And mm -hmm. it just seemed like, you know, you're like, okay, now I'm giving the talk here. Oh, now I'm troubleshooting this thing that I have no idea how it happened or what's going to go. And then now I'm giving the talk and it just like the, the smoothness that you exhibited just in, in the midst of like, oh, okay, well, here's something that's completely not going the way I would have expected. <laughs> oh, well, is uh, it, it just seems fitting because mm -hmm. also I remember probably more than one occasion, but one, one instance, at least in particular, where I, I can't remember why, but we were without someone to give a Dharma talk. And there was, I don't know, did you have 15 minutes notice even? Mm -hmm. um, maybe even less? Like, <laughs> oh, okay, the person who is giving the talk is not here. There is no talk. There is, and mm -hmm. you just, I think you went to the library and you, you picked up a copy of Not Always So, maybe? Mm -hmm. And you just said, oh, this is the one. And you came downstairs and, and like, you just like made a talk in the moment. I, like maybe you maybe you read a sentence or a paragraph and then you you riffed on that and then went to the next sentence and paragraph. It's like like do people know what just happened? You know, like <laughs> step into this high pressure, high you know whatever um, would have felt like high stakes to mm. to to many of us, I think. And you're just like, all right, this is this is what's happening. This is the talk, and people who didn't know the backstory might've just thought, oh, okay, that was a nice talk. <laughs> no, you don't know. You don't know, like this is more impressive than, than, you, than you realized. So, mm -hmm. I, so I appreciate, I wanted to share the, the, the specifics because I think it's, it's, um, it's easy, but important to, to talk about things like, you know, the, the equanimity um, that, that you've shown and, and the, the space that you've maintained and, and contributed to, but, it's, um, I, I think it's also useful to, to kind of look at the specifics and the concrete nature. And, and I appreciate what you've done for the organization as a whole and, and just the personal example that you said as well. And uh, I, I think it does feel like you're going off to Zen college. So I'm <laughs> so, uh, excited, excited for you and, and for the opportunity and just, admiring of your willingness to step off that hundred foot pole. So, mm. so thanks. Yeah. Thanks for everything. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Bruce. And um, yeah, I'd forgotten that story about that particular talk. Um, and I will say I, you know, I, I did kind of this morning lose it in my own way. <laughs> Maybe it's a little quieter than most people's way of losing it, but I certainly had lots of other quotes and things I was going to include in the talk that just sort of totally got lost in the in the shuffle. Um, but thank you, you know, for um, I don't know, you know, being a witness of this sangha in a way, like as a resident and a consistent presence. Um, you're kind of this this. Um, perspective that gets to see the life of the Sangha and the ways it shifts. Um, and I'm really happy that this Sangha is not in that place of, of you know, lots of pain and dis disruption that it was when I got here. Um, and I think I did try and support, you know, um, or steady what I could. But I also, what I witnessed or what I noticed was the kind of the, the, the kind of rebirth of the health of this Sangha beyond me, you know, beyond anything I was doing. Um, and, you know, that's been really fun to watch and fun to be a part of, um, to see new energy and new people kind of in those three years walk through the door and kind of not really know there was any disarray three years ago, you know, um, and, but just really dive in and, and kind of give their time and energy to the life of the Sangha. And it shows, you know, I think this, this is a much healthier Sangha than it was. Um, so thank you anyway, for the role you play in that and, and your consistency and support for the whole Sangha.
Yeah, thank you. And this is kind of embarrassing, you know, I, <laughs> I hope we're done. Or <laughs> there's some other kind of question or something. Are you saying you're not worthy of this and like you're not ready? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Maybe it's like the Zen version of a roast, right? It's only kind yeah. of. <laughs> well, it's funny to watch my own ability to like uh, take some of it in and really appreciate it, you know, but after a while to sort of feel like, who are they talking about? You know? Anyway, it's very sweet. I mean, I, I feel... I did want to sort of say a kind of simple goodbye in a way in the talk um, and just let people know that how much I, I have appreciated being here and being part of the Sangha and that I hope to continue to be part of this Sangha in whatever way, even from afar. So I'm grateful for this, this place and this opportunity. All right. Thanks again, everyone. Thank you, Tim, for everything. Um, I'm, I'm really glad that we had this opportunity, as embarrassing as it may have been. Um, I think it's I think it's good for us as as well as um, for you to acknowledge it. So, and, and we will have, I assume, an actual ceremony where we formally um, wish him well on his way. Um, but this is useful too. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and I, and I think there will be some kind of departing monk ceremony at some point. Um, so yeah, stay tuned for that. And please do stay in touch. And thank you all for being here this Saturday morning. All right. Thank you, everyone.